Welcome to the Intentional House Podcast. Here, it's all about creating beautiful homes that actually help families love better. Here's your host, the home coach herself, Carly Thornock. Hey homies, it's Carly. So glad that you're here. This is the official podcast of Intentional House, where we firmly believe that houses exist to support our relationships, period. Is the goal to love your house or to love your people? I say both and I'm standing by it. This week over on Instagram, had a fun time with my friend Delee Cox, who's a very sophisticated personal stylist. And we talked about how her client really wanted to wear red shoes, but was so worried about not looking on trend or not sure if it was right to wear red shoes. Is that the thing that we do these days? And so when I saw her post about this client and her red shoes, I was like, this is every client of mine and their whole storage room full of artwork that they have not hung on their walls yet. We just need to wear the red shoes. We need to hang the art. We need to take ownership of what we like and get it in our houses and get it on our bodies and just live the life that we've always wanted to live, right? So we did a fun live together and we talked about how we can be more committed to being ourselves and taking risks and um, having our outfits and our houses conform to us instead of us trying to please what I would call the marketplace, which is, you know, all, all the people trying to sell us stuff and to sell it to us seasonally and to make us believe that we are not the authorities in our own houses. I believe every homeowner, every woman, every man, every family is the authority in their home. And what you like and how you want to do your house really is the thing that matters at the end of the day. I also recommitted to thrifting after talking to Delee. She really is into sustainable fashion, which I really love too. But when it comes to house, it seems like it's so easy to order things online or just pop down to the department store and get what you need. And it is. And that's one of the great privileges of living in our day. But after talking to Delia, I was thinking, man, I can do better. I think that we can do better with storytelling in our houses. I think we can do better with using what we have in creative ways, repurposing um, by, by maybe thrifting a little bit more. So I'm going to take this challenge and uh, see where it leads this time around. And I think it's going to be really fun. So if, you, if that inspires you, if that speaks to you, I invite you to join me. Maybe take a little trip to your local antique shop, your local uh, consignment shop, or even your like good, Goodwill or a donation center or something where you can get things that have had a life before and that come with some sort of personality and story, and then you can add to it, whether it's complete change or if you use it as is, it doesn't really matter, but let's look to what's around and available and usable so that we can be just more, more rooted and grounded in ourselves and in our stories. Really, that's what it comes down to to me. And of course, we want to take care of our good old earth here. But to me, it seems so fun to be creative with the tools that we have on hand. So it's hard and fun. And yeah, let's do it. So one thing you may or may not know about me and my lovely husband, Chase, this is just a funny story from our week. We sleepwalk. Maybe I've talked about this on the podcast before. Perhaps not. But we both have very vivid dreams and can often half asleep, have entire conversations in the middle of the night. And it's usually funny afterwards, but in the middle of the night, it's annoying. I remember once I got up and looked at our blinds and was convinced that the sky was completely red and that a tornado was on the horizon. Now I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. I definitely have seen a tornado in Salt Lake City, Utah, but it has been only one. 
in my whole entire life. And it was like the only time that tornado has ever been here. There are no tornadoes here. So definitely wasn't true. But it, there's like nothing worse than being woken up from an intense dream with somebody being like, you're just sleepwalking, go back to bed. It's the worst. But so we're like trying to finesse our way into like waking each other up without offending the other person. So this week, Chase had a dream. We've been, we've been uh, rock climbing with our family lately. And I woke up to him being like, get on your harness. And I was like, what? We're in bed. And he's like, the rope is slipping. And he like threw his arm across my chest. Like he was protecting me from falling. And he's like looking across me at our window. It's slipping. It's slipping. Get buckled in. Where are the kids? Like very, very concerned. And I feel very privileged to have a husband that cares so much about me that he would sacrifice his own safety for mine. That's what I learned from that experience. So <laughs> there you go. Here, <laughs> your dreams be pleasant. This week, <laughs> I want to tell you about my little lifesaver, especially around the holiday time. This is a good one, you guys. This is really good. It is brown craft paper sold in rolls. This is what I use for all of my table decorations. This is what I use, like my uh, tablecloth. This is what I use to wrap all of my presents for the holidays and birthdays, all the things wrapped in brown craft paper because you can always fancy it up. The kids like to put stickers on it, color it with their markers. I like to use whatever ribbon seems fun uh, or maybe, I don't know, I'm pretty simple, just like twine even. It feels classy. I wrap my friends flowers in it. It feels like homemade and like farmy and you know, far, farm to table vibes, <laughs> but so fun. And all you need is one roll of wrapping paper. We don't need 20 zillion Lego birthday wrapping papers. You don't need 20 zillion ribbons, unless that is your thing. And that is what you love. Then, you know, by all means, always go ahead. But if you're wondering how to simplify the chaos with this gift wrap, one roll of brown craft paper, you are so welcome. <laughs> So what's been your little lifesaver? Send an email to Carly at Intentional House to share your lifesavers and ask your house questions. And I would love to feature all the things that you have experienced being helpful in your life as a mom in the trenches. So today we get to jump in and talk about kids and chores. Huzzah! I always think of bed making because that is one of my least favorite chores around the house. I just really don't like bunk beds. Just really sure don't. And so we've decided that top sheets are not a thing on Thornock bunk beds. And I'm very much at peace with that decision. <laughs> so it's okay. It's okay if you have things that you hate with chores. It's okay that you would rather get a pedicure than do chores. And you would rather get a tooth pulled than do chores with your children. That's totally fine. But what I want to offer to you today is that the intersection between kids and chores is a gold mine for connection. I'm not saying you have to like it. I'm not even saying you have to do anything differently than what you're doing right now. But if you want to tap into the gold, there's some really cool stuff that we can be thinking about when it comes to things that we're doing over and over, week after week, day after day with our kids. My belief about chores and about anything that's even hygiene related, things that we have to do one to 20 times a day, like clean up the Legos, is that um, they're meant to be something more for our lives and for our growth than just getting something done, than just pure skill building activities. Because you know what? Pretty sure I mastered making a sandwich when I was nine years old. If the point of life was to master making a sandwich, I would be done. I would have graduated. But there's more. There's more to making the foods and there's more to cleaning 
the floors and there's more to scrubbing the toilets and there's more to making those dang bunk beds than just doing it, right? So I asked my audience on Instagram, this fun community we have going over there. If you are not a part of this community, come on over, come join us. We have a a lot of fun conversations. I really love it. And I asked them, kids and chores, what are your biggest headaches? Let's hear what's the hardest part about the intersection of kids and chores for you. And we're going to go through some of these and, uh, and talk through them and talk about why they're challenges to us and some ways that we can go about navigating them in a way that feels really, really good. So first up, this one came up so many times. How do I get my kids to do their chores without having to nag them? This was literally felt by 9,000 mothers. So, okay, but not literally a lot of mothers. (laughs) Here is the deal with nagging. Nagging doesn't actually inspire better behavior. And more importantly, it does not feel good for us. We don't like to nag, right? If I was like, hey, Barb, (laughs) would you rather feel really excited and eat a birthday cake or nag your kids? I'm pretty sure that you would choose not nagging your children compared to almost anything. So why do we do it so often? Nagging is so interesting to me. And I even find myself doing it myself. Like, why do I feel this need to repetitively remind my kids what their responsibilities are? And I think it boils down to a few different things. First of all, the reason that we nag is because we feel like it's effective. But is it effective? No, we've already talked about this. Um, The reason that we nag is because we feel like we need to be doing something. We feel like it's our job. There's a little hidden should in there. Good moms remind their kids to do stuff, right? One of the first parenting books that I read is called Duct Tape Parenting, and I thought it was so fascinating. And it definitely was out of my comfort zone, but it was really interesting because she invites you to pretend like you're putting duct tape over your mouth when it comes to letting your kids specifically get ready in the morning. She's like, you don't know what they're capable of on their own. If you just follow them around, telling them what to do as they're doing it. So I did a little experiment on Sunday. I decided to have a no nag morning. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. We're all going to show up to church looking like homeless cast outs and it's going to be fine. I'm I'm signing up for it because I'm not going to nag my kids. We're just going to see what they can do by themselves. I'm committed to having like a very lovely time in the morning. And I do firmly believe that God would rather have us be kind to one another than show up perfectly quaffed, but having yelled at each other all morning long. So I decided not to nag. Now here's what I did. I felt like it was going out on a limb. So tell me how you guys would respond to this. Maybe you can even do it yourselves and let me know. I set my timer for 30 minutes. I have a big timer that's on my fridge. It's one of those that when you turn, it turns red. So the kids, even when they can't read or they don't quite know their numbers yet, they can tell like by visual representation of redness, how much longer they have before the timer will ding. So I turned it and I said, everybody look in my eyes. And I was really calm. Everybody look in my eyes. We have 30 minutes to get ready for church today. And I need you to get ready. I chose four things to tell them to do. I need you to put on your clothes, do your hair, brush your teeth, and put on your shoes and socks. And I really recommend after having done this, four seemed like the perfect thing. They could remember all four. Anyway, getting ahead of myself. And then I went and took a shower. 
got ready myself. And before I knew it, my littlest boy, he is four years old. He came up to me and he said, mommy, will you please start the tub? And I was like, I'm going to go get in the shower. I'm getting in the shower. I'm worried about myself. But he was ready to go. So I turned on the tub for him. He hopped in the tub. I think I popped my head in and was like, do you want help washing? And he was like, sure. So I helped him scrub a little bit and got him out in his towel. And then he ran off and put on his church clothes, came to me with the gel and his comb and said, mommy, will you do my hair, please? And then he got his toothbrush ready and brushed his teeth. And he got on his shoes all by himself with 10 minutes to spare. And I told them that if they were, if they got ready by the time the timer deemed that I'd let them drive to church with grandma and grandpa, big deal. So he was super motivated. He got it all done so fast. I had to say nothing to him. And then my oldest boy was like, wait, where's he going? What's he doing? I remember now. Okay. I'm going to do it too. So then he did it all by himself, even took a shower. And then went upstairs to get in the car with grandma and grandpa. And then my middle boy was kind of like, oh, if everybody else is doing it, I guess I might as well. So we did it. Took him a little bit longer. He's one that likes to look, look around as he goes and appreciate the journey. And, but eventually he got done too. And we were all out the door right on time for church. No big deal. No tears, no tantrums. I was like perfectly prepared for them to wear their pajamas to church. And they all got ready better than I ever could have even imagined. I have tried nagging them for going on eight years now. <laughs> I've tried this experiment every Sunday for a very long time. And rarely has it been such a magical morning. And it was a huge lesson to me that I just need to be quiet. I need to align incentives and just be quiet a little bit better. What I learned is that nagging was something that I was doing to try to control my children and to control my anxiety about their behavior. But when really I accepted their behavior and I knew that they were good and I knew that I was good and I knew that it, I was going to feel love no matter what happened, then it just was amazing. I'm going to have to try it again next Sunday to make sure it wasn't a fluke. And this is something that I can try every day. You know what? You know what, you guys? I did it again today. I said, here's our timer. If we get ready for bed before it dings, we can go on a little ride and look at all the Christmas lights in the neighborhood. And they did it. I have to ask them five times. I just stopped asking them. It's just a bad habit. Nagging is a bad habit that we have gotten into and it has nothing to do with our children, you guys. So if you don't like nagging, then just stop it. Just stop nagging them. That's the answer. That is the answer. I had a ballroom instructor once that would follow us around while we were setting up our show, like clapping his hands and telling us to do exactly what we were doing. Go take that down the stairs. Over here, move that over here. And we're like, that's what we're doing. We're doing that right now. Maybe you could find something useful to do. And I wonder how often we are doing this to our kids where they're like, mom, go get a copy. Like I can, I can brush my teeth. Leave me alone. There was a quote that I found that I really wanted to share with you guys. It was said by Charlotte Mason, who is one of my homeschooling idols. I love the thing, her perspective, the things that she thinks about the world. But she said, let children feed on the good, the excellent, the great. Don't get in their way with little lectures, facts, and guided tours. Oh my goodness. How often do I give my kids like the guided tour of life? Like, this is where you step with your right foot. This is where you step with your left foot. Now, da, 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 da. They just, they can figure it out. And when they figure it out themselves, they own it. And that is the magic. That is the magic, my friends. Okay, here's another question I got. Well, tell me about your kid and chore headaches. 
I have a headache about remembering the system and modifying the system as my kids grow and schedules change. This is so good because I resemble this. I feel like I love doing schedules for a little while, but then like I'm the one that kind of falls out of love with it. And if it's something that I have to remember that's really tricky or difficult, I just don't have brain space for it. I was like laughing so hard because I was like, oh, I'm not the only one that don't that I like don't remember. Are we doing points or pom-poms or like what's the thing we're doing now? You know what? This is so perfect for housey reminders, right? Like we can put a chart on the wall and really like literally put stickers on it. We can create something visual in our house to help us remember. But also we just need to simplify a little bit. In my house, what I found to work for me is I have one paper that lists the things they need to do to get ready. And there are five of them and that's all they have to worry about. And so every day I just say, have you done your five? Have you done your five inspection things? And then they know what I'm talking about and they do them and everything else kind of is gravy. And granted my children are young and I'm sure things will change as getting ready for the day becomes more routine. Um, but I want to set myself up for a win. I have my essential things that I need to do every day. And I have essential things that I'd like for them to do before we get out of the house. And by essential, I mean, I would prefer it. And then they earn privileges if they get it done. For instance, they can go to church with grandma and grandpa. If they get all their things done, I find that that's an easier way to inspire them. Aligning incentives in a really good way will get them to do the things that I want better than anything else. So this is true across the board, where whether it's like implementing a system that you have to remember, keep it simple and align incentives, but also if it's like having them do little chores around the house that are more spur of the moment, like I need you to clean up all your magnet tiles or the markers. I just, I'm going to assume that they're going to say no. They're probably busy doing something else. And just like, I would rather choose to do something else besides pick up the markers. I can imagine that they would too. And so I just know that they're going to say no. And then I let them know the incentive. I need you to clean up the markers. Time to clean up the markers, please. Thanks. It's almost time for lunch. No, I don't want to clean up the markers. That's fine. Um, after you clean up the markers, you can come and eat lunch. And then they're like, oh, okay. And they just clean up the markers and come eat lunch. Like, yeah, we need to just do that real quick. And then you can come over and have a seat with the rest of us. We'd love to have you. It totally aligns their incentives, right? I don't get dressed unless there's a reason to get dressed, right? Eventually I'll be like, mm, maybe I'm bored. Maybe I want to go do something outside of my house and then I'll get dressed. But I don't just spring out of my bed at 4.30 a.m. and being like, I just want to put on denim, right? And they don't really either. So in aligned incentives, and that's helpful when it comes to remembering your system and modifying a system, keep it super simple so you can remember it and so that they can remember it. And then set a modification system as well. For my clients, we do this with their house and I have them choose the things that they'd like to revisit annually, every five years, every 10 years, right? Like you buy a couch and you hope to not replace that every year, but in five years, put in your calendar that, Hey, I'm going to, re- I'm going to talk about replacing my couch in five years. Maybe we will, maybe we won't, but this is the time that we're going to consider it. So you can do the same for your chores too. Like maybe it's around a certain family member's birthday, or maybe it's around your family birthday, like your anniversary. 
Something where you are triggered to remember to evaluate the systems, the house systems, the way things are going, the way you clean, the way kids are developing, like all those things, they need a check-in point. And if we don't plan to, if we don't plan to replan, we won't. And it will kind of hang over us like, what am I going to do when they change? And it's like, when you change your system in five years, you can talk about it. So do the same sort of thing. We forget things when they become complex or when they are ill-defined. That's when they stress us out. Oh, I loved this question that came in, you guys. What is my, what's my headache? When they just say no and they really won't do it. And another mom said this too, like they actually can full well choose to not do this. Agency, man. Agent, isn't agency the worst? Like who gave them the power to do Who? Who gave them an independent will separate from me that I keep telling myself I'm in charge of, fully in charge of, and it just is completely impractical for me to do so. (laughs) It's rude. However, essential. Agency is the literal best, most important, worst ever, and always thing in our whole entire lives. It's just so important. But here we want to realize that having them choose no is so good. Having them be able to choose no lets them understand that they're allowed to choose yes. And if they can't choose to not, then they can't fully choose to. Bless us all. Like, don't you feel like that? Like, oh goodness, now we're going to have to deal with them not doing the things that I say. And really that's what we're afraid of. We're just afraid of the discomfort that we're going to have to live with when they have unmade beds. And when they don't wipe off the toilet seat and when they leave the toothpaste globs on the hot, cold knobs, you know, when all those things are part of our life and it feels so uncomfortable, that's what we're most afraid of. And then if we're in a super spirally mindset, we'll be like, well, they're never going to learn and they're going to go to college and just be a disaster. And you know what? They are. They totally are. Every single college kid is a little bit of a disaster. But if they're not allowed to be a disaster at home, where are they allowed to be a disaster? If they can't learn with you, with their house, with the chores, where are they going to fail safely? It's so important that they choose to say no. What if they were allowed to say no and your system of high expectations and unconditional positive regard made easy, natural, helpful consequences. So what I mean by this is if I told my boy, like, it's time to clean up the markers, then they say, no, my system is okay. That's totally fine. If you'd like to eat lunch, the markers need to be clean. And sometimes they're like, I don't care about lunch (laughs) agency again. I was like, okay, doesn't bother me. Eventually, they're going to want to do something. And before they want to do the next thing, the markers need to go away. It's not really a fight that I need to fight. I know that the system will have my back. I don't need to be angry. I don't need to be passive aggressive. I don't need to nag them. I don't need to remind them. I just let it be until, Mom, can I go play at the park? Mom, can I have a snack? It's like, of course you can. Those markers need to go away. Then come talk to me and we will totally get you there. Easy. So yes. It's like, yes, yes, yes. So do your best to make high expectations, unconditional positive regard. That means being able to feel love toward them in any circumstance and then helpful consequences, helpful, um, check boxes in order to get the things that they want so that your incentives are aligned. 
Here's another kid in chore headache. To pay or not to pay. To remind or not to remind. The nagging part, right? So golden. So you just get to choose. When it comes to whether or not you should pay for chores um, or how often you want to remind your kids, this really just comes down to whatever you want. Do you want to remind them 10 times? Great. Um, I find myself getting sick of hearing my own voice. So I think I remind them once or twice. Ask them. And if I'm in a great spot and I align incentives, that's all that's necessary. I also find that I need to look at them and have them look at me and repeat back what I'm saying to them because sometimes they just don't hear me. So I find myself talking to myself a lot of times, reminding myself that they should be doing something, right? And that doesn't sound as fun. So just make a list of pros and pros. This is what I love to do because it helps me get my vision in alignment. Like what sounds the most fun? Not what negative thing am I most scared of? It's like, what do I want to build the most? And then see which vision you're most aligned with creating and then try it out. And then set an alarm in your phone or on your calendar in two weeks to evaluate and to see, oh, is this helping me in the goals that we have as a family? Is this really the system that we want to keep doing? Or are there some problems we need to tweak it? This is how we learn. This is just like our kids are failing at chores and not doing them good at first. We are learning how our family functions in the system of chores. And it's not going to be perfect at first. It's not going to be perfect at second. It's going to take lots and lots of years. And it's going to be right when you think you're getting it down, somebody's going to have a growth spurt and change. And you will change or you'll move or whatever it is. And that's totally okay. They remember better and you get the help that you want and they learn skills when you remind them. Like that, those are the pros of reminding somebody. Like just remember there's pros of micromanaging. That's why we do it because we see like it saves our emotional distress, but it also like gets gets the job done because they don't like us harping in their ear. It gets the job done, but it just feels awful, right? But the pros of not reminding are they learn to remember by themselves a little faster. Things are left undone more often, but you can grow into loving through any like bad performance that your kids do when the chores are done poorly or not done at all. Then you get this work. So there are pros to both and you just get to choose what's the most fun for you and the way that you like to grow today. No wrong answer here, my friends. No wrong answer. Okay. Another kid plus chore headache, the actual process of getting them to do their chores and not be distracted here, here. Oh my goodness. It would be one thing if our children had frontal lobes, but they definitely don't. And it would be one thing if I could do anything without getting distracted and then I could show them how to do it. Right? <laughs> so first things first, let's work on our, our own distractibility. And then maybe we can teach them a little bit better. Right? Focus is such a great skill and it really takes 18 to 33 years plus <laughs> to master. So remember first that their focus is not about you. It's not about how much they love you or what kind of citizens they're going to grow up to be or how responsible you are in your parenting. It's just about kids learning how to focus and then see what they're good at focusing on. Because even kids that we say that they have a hard time focusing, they innately will focus on something usually. So see what that is and then channel it for chores toward what you want them to focus on. So I have a boy that's really good about focusing when it comes to food or dogs. And we use both very often to help him focus. 
So this is again, aligning incentives, just figuring out like what's their, what speaks to their soul and how can you help them get more of it while also learning the skills that you feel like are valuable in your home. Okay. Here's another headache. So good. Not picking up after themselves regularly. We spend so much time tidying things left everywhere. I call these little poops. They're just little trails of socks and toys and rocks and my dish towels pulled off the rod every eight seconds, everywhere they walk, every time they come by. It's like literally as effective as analyzing scat and tracking movement patterns of children. Like I'm pretty sure I can tell where my children are just because they just drop debris. (laughs) Don't know. Don't know how they keep all those like transformers in their pockets, but for sure they're on the ground falling right after. So here's my question for you to consider why is it so hard to let this go? Like, why is this bothering you? Why is it a problem that your kids aren't picking up after themselves regularly? My guess is because you have a manual, you have some rules that they should be following that you should be following as a mom or about how your house is kept. That is in being directly violated by them leaving things around. Good moms don't have stuff on their floors. Good moms have kids that pick up after themselves. Good moms, you know, like the good mom manual or the good kid manual. And interestingly enough, I had some moms like respond to me about this. I asked this question on Instagram and I was like, what's the problem here? Why are we, why are we having a problem about things on our, on the floor? And they were like, cause it's gross. Like it's so gross and nasty. And there's just dishes all over from breakfast. And I can't even handle looking at it. And so I challenged them, like, keep them there. This is your work, my friend, to be okay in the chaos, to know that your worthiness as a mom does not come from a dish, like a ceramic or maybe even plastic or maybe even glass, flatly shaped piece of, I don't know, plate, (laughs) flatware with some objects on it on a horizontal surface. Like it just really does not have anything to do with who you are as a person, as a mom, your lovability, your willingness to do whatever it takes to raise wonderful children. Like it has nothing to do with you. It's literally things on your counter. And when we separate it, then we can see like, oh yeah, deep down, this isn't a problem. And then we can raise to the preference level, which is, but I really enjoy having a clean kitchen. Awesome. If you enjoy having a clean kitchen, then there's so many ways to get a clean kitchen. You can have your kids do it. You can do it yourself. You can hire somebody else to do it. You can have your husband do it. You can have your mom do it. You can have the dog do it. Like you can do it in so many different ways, getting your house clean. But when we think that our worth and our children's worth is tied to our ability to maintain a clean house that is used to maintain our lives, which therefore means it's going to be messy sometimes we're going to find ourselves on a roller coaster of emotion that usually ends in self bereavement, right? You have the choice. If you could have feel like feel so good and have a few dishes in your sink, or you could have a clean sink and still feel kind of crappy. Like what would you choose? (laughs) Right? Like dishes don't matter. So go really deep with yourself and figure out like, why is this bothering me? What's the rule that I'm breaking? It's really bugging me. All right. Here's our last one today. And this kind of goes along with something we touched on before, but the kid and chore headache here is my having to check on them or remember to check a chart or anything I have to remember some system that I have to follow through with. 
it's becoming a another chore for me to remember how I'm distributing the chores. Yep, that's called being a manager, <laughs> where you have to spend a lot of your time just managing the systems, managing the people. But what if we didn't? What if we didn't think that we have to remember all the things? That is so liberating to me. It's the 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 constriction that I feel when I think I have I have to be the one that remembers all the things. It's up to me and I have to do it. That feels awful. That feels terrible. I don't want to spend any time in that thought pattern. I would much prefer to think I don't have to remember anything. And I think this is exactly what I saw when we were going to church last week, last Sunday. It was exactly it. Like I decided I don't have to remember. I don't have to remind. I have something that's important to me, getting my family out the door to church. Other than that, I'm going to let them remember and they can help each other remember. And there's lots of resources, places for them to check. Uh, And I love them and I can help them if they ask for my help, but I'm not going to be the one carrying the mental load anymore, right? And especially when the mental load feels so tedious and awful. It's one thing if you're so stoked for family pictures and you just can't wait to have everybody look this way, then you can own it. Then you can be like, this is about me. Family pictures, you know what, you guys, I hate to break it to you. Family pictures are all about the mom most of the time. (laughs) As a former photographer and as a mom myself, I realize like I'm the one who cares about capturing the moment with the family. I'm the one who cares about the outfits being color coordinated. I'm the one who cares about the lighting and the setting and getting him on the Christmas card. Like I'm the one who cares. This is a gift to me that my family is giving. And if it's a little bit of extra work for me, we're going to wrap that up in the package of this is for me. So yes, I accept, right? I think we do ourselves a disservice when we, when we think that other people should care as much as we do. So the same kind of goes for chores. Like if you're the one that cares about the chore being done, you're the one that's going to carry the remembering and the reminding burden. But if you can share that concern with your children, with your spouse, um, in a way that feels aligned in incentives that they really want to do it for personal reasons above and beyond, like loving my mother, (laughs) then you'll find that a lot more gets done a lot quicker and that they're more internally motivated. So it's going to take a little bit of creativity, but remember that you don't have to remember that this impetus to nag or this impetus to be um, the one who carries the weight is just a thought pattern that you're choosing to entertain. Sometimes it feels really justified. Sometimes it feels really like, yeah, justice and like I'm doing it and sticking it to my family. I'm not going to be a doormat, but that feels just as awful as, you know, being a martyr and giving in all the time. Right? So just state your preferences, align incentives, and you'll be golden. You'll totally be golden. Okay. So when this all comes together, chores and kids are a thing, right? They're so, so fun. And here's what I want you to take away from this. When we're thinking about chores and we're solving these problems with a relationship spin, and it's not about getting the task done, It's not about a doneness exercise. It's about building a relationship with somebody. Remember that for every child development stage that your your kid is going through, they have a different goal. So let's talk about like kids who are younger than five years old. 
The goal of chores from a relationship standpoint, from a child development standpoint, is helping them understand the concept, I am wanted, I am seen, and I am appreciated. I am good. It's very like fundamental um, who they are, like self-identity phase. And then when they're about five to nine, ten years old, they're going to be learning that work is part of life, and it can also be fun. Work is safe, and I can choose to enjoy it. And then when they're 9, 10 to about 12 years old, they're learning, I am helpful. That they have a role to play in the family, that they're dependable, that there's a work-play-rest balance. They're learning how to be grateful for the things that they have and the work that you do. They're a little bit more aware of others. And that's the work that they're doing. They need to understand, I am helpful. I belong here. About 12 years old, they start to have the capacity to be capable so they can actually clean the bathroom and have it like be a good job. (laughs) Anything before 12 years old, it's not going to be clean. You just like assume anything they do is not for the purpose of cleaning. It's for the purpose of what we already talked about. But when they're about 12, they need to learn. I am capable. I can do things. I can learn. I can become masterful at different things in my life. They want to know how to do it and how to do it right. And they need practical guidance for getting the job done and doing it correctly. And this is when we can have this standard of, of like expecting perfection almost. And bear with me here. Like, let me explain. This is not, they have to do it perfect on the first try, but this is the job isn't done until it's done. Right. Had a professor once who I I wrote this horrible paper and I did it too fast. I didn't give myself enough time. And um, I knew this professor really well. He's my graduate mentor professor. I just love him. And he's so smart. And I turned in this paper and the next day he was like, Carly, you got 60% on this paper. But instead of him handing it to me, like flinging it across the table, being like, what the heck happened? He was like, you need to redo this. I don't know what happened, but I think you missed the whole concept. <laughs> Go redo this. This I don't accept this. And so I just went and redid the paper and got a fine score on it. I had missed some big things and you just did a poor job. But this is how it is with our kids, too, where we get to mentor them and help them learn how to do things competently and not correct them in a criticizing way, but to be like, oh, you're almost there. This is what it takes to pass the grade that I'm looking for from you. And until it passes the grade, you don't pass, but I will help you and you can take as long as you want and do as many tries as you want. Right. That's the, that's the path to true mastery. So then at, at after about like 15, 16 years old, this is when they're able to start um, having their own preferences about how they want to live their life. And they can choose, I like it when it's clean. Or they can choose, I like it when it's dirty, right? But they have this choice of ease and they understand the benefits and they've experimented and they know that they're capable at this point. So when they've all built upon each other, usually... People will choose, I like clean, or they will just choose whatever they choose. And really that's what we want, right? We just want empowered children who know that they can choose, who don't feel thrown about and tossed around and half toed and shoulded by themselves or the voice in their heads that sounds like our voice or their peers or their girlfriends or whatever it is. We just want them to choose and to be comfortable with their choice and know that they can make another one at any moment should they want to. So I will say this again, and I will say it again twice. (laughs) This is not about you or the job. Chores are not about you, mama. It's not about your house. It's not about you. It's about them. It's about your kids. It's about the relationship. 
simplify your expectations, simplify your systems, simplify your reminders. Get clear about what is your preference. All the chores, all the family pictures, right? You want this. You want this. And then get creative with how to align incentives so that the family is on board to meet them. And then manage your own mind. Manage your own mind about not wanting to do chores yourself. And I think you will find that 99% of your problems disappear. Okay, my friends, I hope you have a wonderful week. And until next time, go get messy. just love this podcast? There's even more housey homey family goodness to explore over at intentionalhouse.com.